AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Hey, John, I heard you have a story on Zeus Sphinx malware. So the Zeus Sphinx malware is actually an older strain of the Zeus malware that's been out there for probably several years now. And I want to say maybe it was even 2015 timeframe or something uh, when the Sphinx variant of Zeus. Now, Zeus, as we probably talked about on the show a lot, it's a um, piece of banking malware that, um, you know, the source code got out into the open source community. People started kind of re-spinning, making their own subversions of this uh, malware over time. And um, one of the things that Zeus was kind of uh, innovative about uh, when it first came out way back when is that uh, one of its techniques as a banking malware, it has kind of a configuration file in its list of all the banks that it wants to target. And if you visit one of those banks with your browser, it will eject extra forms into the browser. So it might ask normally the browser or the website might really ask for a username and password, but they might inject additional things like social security number or some right. other piece of information that they think they might need. Um, so um, uh, the long and short is that uh, the Sphinx variant um, it's kind of come back to life recently, and it's targeting uh, people uh, with coronavirus-themed um, uh, fishes. So, you know, we've seen a lot of other uh, actors, bad actors, trying to uh, use coronavirus as a means to uh, recruit new uh, victims into their botnet. The government's going to be giving out this relief package, um, you know, a certain X number of dollars, I'd say $1,000 or $1,500 or something per person, um, is going to be, uh, you know, doled out to everybody in the United States, um, you know, especially because people have been, you know, put out of work and whatnot as a result of this uh, uh, quarantine that's been going on. So uh, with the Zeus Sphinx malware, they've been sending out fishes that have, you know, a variation of subject lines that'll say something like COVID-19 relief effort or things like that. They'll try to purport themselves as being an official government email. You're probably not ever really going to get an email like this from the government. We probably, people watch this show probably know that. But um, in there will be a Word document that they want you to look at and fill out so that you can get your money. So their trick here is that they're trying to insinuate that unless you open this document up, you're not going to get your COVID-19 relief fund money. Um, but this is a weaponized uh, Word document that um, has some macroviruses in it, and it will download the uh, Zeus Sphinx malware onto your laptop or your computer uh, if you open that document. So guess the long and short of the whole sort of reason to bring this up is be careful. You know, there's a lot of people out there um, trying to, uh, you know, leverage this event uh, for their own gain. And uh, this is just yet another way uh, that they're doing it. And um, nothing in particularly new that I would say about how this piece of malware works, um, just that it's kind of come back to life, this particular offshoot called Sphinx, and um, that they're, you know, targeting this type of uh, uh, campaign in order to, you know, trick new victims into giving them their banking information and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I, there's been a lot of these different COVID-19 and coronavirus scams going up, you know, physical scams where they people come to your house and then a lot of the stuff online scams. 
So it's really, um, you know, it's pretty timely that they're taking advantage of all the confusion that's, uh, you know, taking place and people kind of spread out from their work and, you know, it's kind of a, a big change for everyone. That's, uh, you know, it's typically that, that seems to always happen, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, it just continues that, uh, that trend. And uh, the worst thing about this thing is, from what I was reading recently about that uh, stimulus check or whatever they're calling it, I don't think you even need to do anything. They just go by yeah, yeah. this year's tax return and whether you qualify or right. not, that's not even in your hands. You're going to either get the check right. in the mail or you're not. Right. So if people okay. just be a little bit better informed and a little more aware, they'll know right away. But, you know, it's a lot of people that uh, skip the reading, I guess, and just get right down to the dollar sign. I think in the, the last couple of years, there's been a you know, rise in the scare tactics of uh, if you don't do this, you know, something bad is going to happen, you know, like or that you get an email from, you know, some law enforcement or some other government and whatever. And I think typically people should be aware of that if the government wants to contact you, they're, they're not going to email you. Right. <laughs> um, to find another way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess uh, I guess these emails are not getting picked up by spam filters. I mean, if they're going through, right? Initially, probably, but I would say I would hope that now, um, you know, right. that this has been going on for probably a couple of weeks now, uh, that a lot of the larger email providers out there probably are aware of it and are getting pretty reactive in, in blocking it. But you never know. The actors are always right. changing and adapting, so you want to be careful not to, uh, right. you know, fall for it if they just change it slightly enough to get through the spam filters. Hey, George, I understand you're looking into a scan that uses uh, bad USB thumb drives and uh, some sort of gift card. Yeah, John. So, um, so this particular story is pretty interesting, and uh, it gets a little funny at the end with what with another method that they're using. So, recently, a health services company received in the mail an actual fifty dollar gift card from Best Buy with a USB stick, and a really kind of an odd looking one, not like a name brand one at all, but uh, in an envelope along with that you know, gift card. And it was a little letter that you know had a you know Best Buy kind of like header on the paper and it said, hey, you know, you just won a $50 gift card based on your shopping, previous shopping history. Um, if you, you know, plug this USB stick into your laptop, you will be given a list of products that you'll be able to order with that gift card. Uh, so, you know, thank you, you know, blah, blah, with the fake signature. Um, so essentially what's happening is um, this specific type of uh, attack, I guess we call it, was seen about two years ago. Um, the FBI had a, a few of these that they were being tipped off on, that uh, random gift cards were being sent with USB sticks, um, and people's machines were getting infected. And it looks like the driving force of the infection here is when you plug the USB stick in, um, the microcontroller, it's an Arduino-based controller, it's set up in a way that it, it, it's being recognized as a keyboard. Um, so... When you plug it in, your machine is not going to block it because your machine accepts keyboards um, naturally. I mean, it's just something that PCs are ready to, to take on. So it, it's seen as a keyboard. And from that point, it launches a uh, obfuscated, small little obfuscated PowerShell script. Um, and what this particular write-up 
showed on it. I mean, they broke it down uh, all the way down to the fact that they use obfuscation with a uh, substitution cipher, which they were pretty quick at uh, deobfuscating. And then it downloads a secondary stage payload via some URL that's probably some random uh, compromised website. Um, and then pulls down a uh, another set of PowerShell directions, you know, another PowerShell script that's slightly obfuscated or encoded. Um, and in that case, that will bring down a uh, JavaScript. It puts it into a text file. And then this text file begins communication with the C2. Um, and then it gets its instructions for its next, um, whatever the next command is. In this case, the first level of communication with the C2 was just grabbing machine data. So it was username, host name, um, what the system privilege was for that user, um, and various uh, system information that, you know, it's probably going to use and store for, you know, whatever instructions it's going to have for it in the future. And to see if there's anything that it can, any vulnerability that it can take advantage of. It does also look for listing a list of running processes, the version of Office you have, the release of Adobe, that you may have um, and whether or not it's running in a virtualized environment. Uh, so it gathers all this data. And I think for this sample, this is where they stopped the investigation. Uh, but that specific payload uh, runs in an infinite loop um, and it sleeps for two minutes in each loop. And then it goes back to the C2 with another set of instructions. And I guess, you know, it's told what to do from, from the uh, command and control. Um, so, you know, right now that's pretty much how the malware works. They've, they've recently only seen it at one specific health care provider and that specific user was smart enough not to plug the drive in to their laptop. Um, but they expect to see more of these. Um, and I have seen, uh, in some other research I did that they've actually used teddy bears as well. So they'll put a nice teddy bear in a box, um, say, this is our gift. Uh, from whatever store, you know, is sending it, you know, please plug this USB drive in, you know, we also have other gifts for you. Um, and people have been compromised by that specific teddy bear. But the, so far, from what I've read, this gift card thing, this was the only one in the recent couple of days, I would say about a week. Um, so it's interesting how they're now like, you know, trying a different route, right? So everybody's so vigilant in email, or actually not really, especially from the story you just gave. Uh, but uh, they're trying to get people with snail mail and free stuff, which everybody likes free stuff. Um, and yeah. something I uh, I skipped on, brief, you know, when I started the story was the actual USB drive, how I said it wasn't a name brand drive. It's, it's a pretty weird looking drive. And um, the name of the actual, the actual drive has its own name called Bad USB, Leonardo USB. Um, and you can buy this drive on Banggood, Amazon, uh, you know, AliExpress for six, seven bucks. And this thing is like ready to go. You just drop whatever instructions you want on there. And the reviews are hilarious because people are like, this is the easiest way to spread malware. This thing is like ready to go for seven bucks. It's like you buy it, throw it in the mail. Um, so it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting, uh, place to be, um, I don't think you guys have any uh, insight on this or seen this before. Yeah, I guess for me, I think it's uh, it just does not sound plausible to me that a company that's mainly out there selling a retailer selling technology 
would send a USB via right. snail mail with a physical gift card. I mean, why wouldn't they just send that, like, you know, credit my account with that gift card, you know, and send me an email with that information? Uh, it just doesn't sound plausible to me. The, the teddy bear, you know, I could see depending on, you know, who the targeting target is, you know, I think that probably has more success, uh, which, which it seems like you're indicating. Well, one of the other things I noticed, they had like a recent update on this article as well that said that um, it looks like it might have some overlap with Fin7, yeah. which is a group that targets a lot of hotels, the hospitality chains. So, you know, I guess in my mind, I could see maybe, you know, someone at the front desk who gets the mail um, for a hotel chain and whatnot. They might think, oh, well, we do, you know, a lot of business with Best Buy. We, we're, you know, we buy a lot of stuff from them, maybe. And it's such an unusual kind of way. You're not thinking like, oh, my God, this is bad. It's right. not the normal right. way of like I get a spam email or mm -hmm. other typical ways that people try to trick you. So in that sense, I could see they might have some, you know, uh, success with this tactic because, it's right. unusual enough that you don't see it every day. You know what I mean? Right. I guess we're so uh, inundated with the fraud and scams that come through email and other electronic yeah. sources that we've now forgotten that, you know, these things happen physically as well. Uh, or, right. they, you know, previously they all, that's, that was the main source. And now that's kind of not no longer the avenue where it seems like maybe people will be not expecting it anymore. And it, it, it involves quite a bit of work from the actor, right? I mean, it's not as easy as right. just running a script, right? It's You actually have to physically have someone put something in a package, mail it out. So I can see the targeting, uh, like John said, like the specific organizations or, or businesses where it would make sense, uh, where they'll be like, oh, yeah, somebody went through all of this trouble to put this drive in here with an actual gift card. Ah, oh, it's got to be fine. You know, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> it's not my computer, probably, right? I mean... <laughs> Right. The other thing that I thought was um, interesting about this that a lot of people might not be aware of is that, you know, when people see a thumb drive, uh, most people probably assume, oh, it's going to be some sort of, you know, disk device. And if I plug it into my computer, right. I already know that I have auto run not turned on. I have a lot of other security right. things on there. I'm going to be really careful and I'm not going to you know, open a file a folder and actually run or open any documents. I just want to see what's on here. So a lot of people might think that they know better, yeah. but in reality, this thing doesn't act like a hard drive at all. When you plug it in, even though it's in a form factor of a hard drive, like a thumb drive, um, when you plug it in, it acts like a keyboard and it's going to open a command prompt and start typing commands in on your computer <laughs> so it's like something you there is no like automatic protection for that right now um so if you stick this thing in you're it's going to do whatever you know assuming windows you know it's going to try to do that to your machine so right. you know don't think you know better that you're going to build and obviously the guys who did this they they do know um a little bit even better because they air gapped it and they did a lot of things when they're analyzing this themselves. So it's a really good write up in, in that perspective of how to safely go about analyzing um, a piece of hardware like this, because this is a uh, tricky kind of piece of hardware. It's not like what you would expect uh, to see, kind of a Trojan horse kind of uh, uh, disguise that is packaged in. 
Yeah, and the, the writers actually went out of their way and on the secondary payload from what the article is saying, they're actually showing a fake message box that pops up on your screen that says, oh, the, US, the last USB device that you connected to this machine malfunctioned and Windows does not recognize it. So most people would be like, oh, all right, I guess it just does. I tried it. I guess it doesn't work. I'll just right. get rid of it or unplug it, you know? And I'm guessing that they're, they're you know, they're expecting someone that's not, you know, uh, you know, in the security field to right. open up this packet, you know, this envelope and all that. So it wouldn't be as aware to not open up and, you know, to stick these drives into our machines and stuff like that. So Manish, I hear people are still not changing default creds on their Soho routers and disabling the web interfaces and it's causing all kinds of DNS hijacking. Yeah, that's right. So uh, apparently uh, someone's uh, out there scanning for vulnerable Linux routers. And I think it's specifically for Linux routers and they're, uh, they're kind of attacking. The attack involves, uh, you know, some brute forcing uh, weak or default credentials. And then once the you know once they have the credentials and they're in the box, they're uh, in the router. They're you know they uh, they they hijack the DNS by altering the DNS IP addresses in the in the router settings, right? So once they do that, it redirects the victims' machines to like a coronavirus theme page, and then it attempts to uh, you know and then it, it downloads a malicious program program called ASCII. which is uh, you know it's a recently really it's a relatively new Trojan. Um, you know, I think it typically it, one of the functions is it, it extracts the credentials from the browser, extracts the passwords from the crypto wallets and things like that. Um, but once you get redirected to this site, um, you know, the site claims to be a COVID information application. It wants you to download and it's, uh, yeah, from the World Health Organization. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Right. So now that everyone's working from home, you know, it's like, yeah, this is the type of thing that they're, you know, they're going after, I guess. Um, and, and probably because people now working from home, they want to have good connections. They probably went out and bought new routers and hoping that many of them are Linksys routers too, right? Um, but once the, so basically what happens when you click, um, you know, there's a download button on the site to download the application. Um, and it's pretty interesting. They, the href tag, um, they changed it to, they set it to, you know, just like google.com, google.com slash Chrome. So when you hover over the button, that's what you see. So it doesn't look like you're doing, you know, you know, you're downloading anything from a malicious site. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it then, um, it downloads the, uh, I guess the downloader portion of the malware uh, from, I think, four Bitbucket repositories. But even that, they've uh, masked the URL by a tiny URL link. Um, you know, and, and even the, the file that gets downloaded, it has a legitimate sounding name. Uh, you know, so they've taken a, a great length in kind of, um, you know, uh, Making you know masking the things that people have been typically taught to look for to not do, you know, hover over the you know the link or the button to see what shows up, you know, things like that, um, you know, and it's pretty interesting. You know, it's a very good attack because it's relying on people that are not really um, into security and things like that uh, to fall for it. Um, 
ultimately, uh, I, I, I think a bit defender did the, did the analysis on this and they, uh, um, you know, they think they believe that it's, de- you know, it's definitely from brute forcing the router. Um, and it's either the router or the Linksys cloud account actually, uh, is what they're, what they think. Um, you know, even the Linksys cloud account, once you, once you get access and you can remotely manage the router anyway. So it's, it's just like having access to the router itself. So, and they did provide a couple of D, the malicious DNS IPs that once you go, uh, oh, I'm sorry, one of the things that I forgot to mention is there's a lot of common sites like Disney.com that you would go to and that uh, once you try to go to that, the, the malicious DNS uh, redirects you to, uh, you know, the site where you would download this. So most people, you know, they're not familiar with DNS hijacking. So, you know, they would think that this is a legitimate thing you know, I'm either going to DNS and I think there's some Amazon, there's some really common uh, URLs that uh, people would go to that would re- would redirect you to the malicious, malicious page. And probably, you know, uh, some of these people think that this is legitimate, right? I'm going to Disney, they want me to get this information for some reason. Um, and uh, so far, uh, they seem to have a little over almost 1,200 victims. Um, uh, but that's through their visibility. So we don't really know the extent of this. And as more people, you know, as, you know, this continues, people may decide to upgrade their routers because they're worried about their connection connectivity. You know, this may continue to, to get even worse, uh, you know, as people typically do that, you know, they forget to change passwords and things like that. So, you know, I think um, one of the important things that I take away from this story is, you know, a lot of people, I think they might think, well, I practice safe browsing habits and they couldn't get infected because they only go to, you know, really well-known trusted websites. And that may be true to some degree that that would insulate you from getting compromised. But this particular scenario, what they're doing is um, the attackers are compromising your home router, which is in between you and the internet. They get in there, they replace the DNS settings with, um, the IP addresses of their bad website. So instead of going to the real Google or the real Amazon, even though you're typing that domain name in the way it really is, the router is giving the wrong answer to you and pointing you to a rogue website that might, you know, present some sort of other application or something to you um, and trick you into getting affected, even though it looks like it's the real website. So, um, yeah, I think that's the real important kind of, uh, uh, aspect of this technique here, this DNS hijacking technique, is that it really allows an attacker to get in between you, your computer, and the internet. And a lot of people might not, you know, think about it's that it's even possible that their home router could be lying to them about where website, you know, really exists. So, you know, I think the many common users, uh, home, especially home users with home routers and things like that, that they may purchase themselves, you know, they, I think they, these types of things are, are not really apparent to them that they should be, uh, you know, kind of uh, ensuring that the security of the router is is very good. It's more like my my laptop, you know, I've updated everything on my laptop and things like that. That's kind of their focus, uh, not necessarily the router itself. Uh, I think we could push a little bit of the responsibility back on the manufacturer on this because... I mean, I've gotten, just like we all have, purchased many routers at home and every single time, just about, at least in the last couple of years, the the web interface has always been enabled by default 
Um, I've seen admin admin as username right. password. There was never any force from the actual interface for me to change that password. I knew right away I don't need this. I don't need to access my router from the outside. You know, I, I have no reason for it. I disable cloud count as well. Um, but I feel like the uh, manufacturers can can do a little something like, okay, let's uh, let's inform the user that their access from the outside is going to be disabled by default. If you want to enable it, um, you go here and we have to enforce a strict password policy, um, as strict as they can get it. Um, and this is never going to change unless they make a change in their manufacturing, right? In their software development, when they create right. that, that should be one of the first things. Um, they should also kind of enforce updates, right? Like they're not pushing updates to routers. It's not as easy as pushing updates to like a Windows box, right? But uh, I think I think the the vendor has to also, um, and I've seen that because I purchased a DVR from my house and with knowing all the hacks that are out there and all the vulnerabilities, I don't expose mine to the internet. I go through VPN, but it would not let me configure or set up any aspect of my DVR without changing the actual password to log into the system to a very high strength password, which I thought was great. It annoyed me at first because I didn't want to set a password. I wanted to just get on with my configuring and do that after. But they were like, nope, has to be a high strength one. And then you can continue configuring the box and setting it up for your use. Uh, so I feel like until that happens, this is constantly going to be a problem. Um, and like John said, you know, you know, we're as, as good as you can be, as secure and as smart with your surfing as you can be when this type of thing happens. Yeah, you just don't know. Uh, yeah, you just you don't realize. Yeah, that's a good point, George. I think uh, pressuring these the manufacturers of these devices is, you know, something that to, you know, kind of force people to do, uh, you know, set up a, a strong password and not enable internet access by default. I think those are really good uh, suggestions for, um, you know, the manufacturers of these routers. And, uh, you know, I will maybe come to Cisco's defense a little bit in that, um, you know, I use Cisco devices a lot, the Linksys routers, and um, I think I have some pretty new ones, um, as a matter of fact. And I believe that all the ones I've gotten lately, which has been within the past year or so, year or two, um, all come pretty secure where they okay. don't have um, management from the internet enabled by default. They also have a update feature in it to check for new firmware and let you know that it's there, uh, you know, that there's new firmware available. It doesn't automatically install it, I don't think. But, um, you know, some, some vendors are definitely doing better than others, I would say. And, um, you know, I don't know what models are impacted by the story that Manish has here. Clearly, there's some Linksys ones because that's what they're talking about. Um, and we know that some of the older models definitely had issues uh, around that, uh, like George was saying, you know, exposing them, their management or to the Internet by default. But um, I think a lot of vendors have been wising up to this over the years and getting better, especially American-based companies uh, seem to be pretty solidly kind of leading the charge. and. Um, being more conscientious about having secure devices out of the box or as secure as they can make them without making it super inconvenient for their customers. Cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, I've, my last experience has been a couple of years ago and, and I had a few Asus routers at home, so I haven't had a Linksys or a Cisco base, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It's good to hear that uh, they're locking it down.
Um, real quickly, we'll take a look at the, the most probed ports here. Nothing real surprising. Um, so ones that maybe kind of stand out here, the 5555 TCP, um, which we've talked about on the show before. I believe that's, um, I think it's Android debugger service. The Android the debug? Yeah, so it's the Android debug port. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and we've seen, you know, a lot of um, scanning on that uh, just historically, uh, as well as a lot of these other ones that, you know, we know uh, provide a lot of remote desktop access, like SSH and RDP, um, uh, Telnet, et cetera. You know, we've seen those a lot. But no real big changes in movement. So I thought I would skip over, um, you know, focusing on that. We'll take a closer look at uh, the most sources probing. So this is where you get a lot of uh, devices all of a sudden scanning for a particular uh, port at a single time. You know, so like maybe in a single hour, we went from having nobody scanning this port to having tens of thousands of people scanning it, which would be unusual. Uh, and usually that's an indicator of some sort of botnet type activity. So the ones that I'm, I highlighted here to talk about are 8291 TCP and 8728 TCP. Both of them have come up substantially from where they had been in the previous week. You can see um, 8291 TCP came up 106 positions to the number four position. And um, uh, 8728 came up 217 positions uh, up to you know, position number six. So that's a pretty significant increase from where it would normally be. So when we take a look at that, I thought I'd bring up a um, kind of a longer term chart here. This is a 60 day picture of what these uh, ports look like. And I put them together because both of these ports are related. So 8728 and 8291 TCP are both related to MicroTik routers. They're um, these particular ports that are uh, API type ports and uh, they're specific to MicroTik, and they have um, some special protocols that you can use for authentication purposes. And there are some tools that exist to launch brute force password guessing attacks, um, you know, on these devices, you know, towards these specific ports. So when we look here at this um, this trend line, we can see that things aren't as bad as they've ever been. Because uh, even looking back 60 days, we could see back here around maybe the March 10th to the 12th time frame that these spikes were even higher. Um, this is a stack chart here. So, um, you know, when we look at this, I'm looking at both of the ports scanning activity together because I like to see, you know, that they coincide in time with each other. But in reality, it's probably half of this amount. So when we see 60,000 over here around March 12th, it's probably really more like 30,000 uh, or so because you've got the same sources scanning on both ports for the most part. Um, but it allows you to kind of see that they're both, you know, acting at the same time here. Uh, the most recent activity, uh, you know, with the past couple of days here uh, is peaking out around 40,000, probably about 20,000 on each port, 20,000 scan sources per port. But you can see that there was probably even way back here in uh, – the February timeframe, there is kind of a more historical uh, type of, you know, routine type of scanning activity going on. And then it went away for a period of time down to nothing. And we see, you know, these resurgences here. I also took a picture that kind of focuses in a little bit more closely, just at a five day window. So that you can see how tightly coupled this scanning is with each other. So the blue 
is port 8728, and the red is port 8291. And you can see that they kind of go from nothing, and then they both go up in similar types of amounts at each hour. So you can kind of see, and they decay at the same rate as well, um, you know, which definitely is a big indicator that both of these are being scanned at the same time, probably by the same set of source IPs. Do we know if there's any sort of new vulnerability that recently came out for uh, MicroTick routers? Well, nothing new. It's actually kind of been well known that these ports are kind of exposed and accessible to the internet um, in general, kind of like George was saying with some other uh, router vendors, uh, MicroTick has not been particularly good about um, out of the box um, you know, not having their management ports exposed to the internet. So generally speaking, they do a lot. And you'll find that if you search for, you know, in Shodan and uh, some of these other like census.io, that you'll find a lot of these devices, hundreds of thousands of them exist exposed to the internet um, on these, these two ports. Um, so I'm not aware of any specifically new um, vulnerability. Uh, this has kind of been known about for at least, I would say, two years. They've been really targeted. There's um, a toolkit out there called MK Brutus that is specifically designed to brute force password guess against these devices. So I just gave that as an example of, you know, there's a lot of tool sets specifically for Microtech, uh, the MK and MK Brutus standing for Microtech. Um, when we, the other interesting thing, in my opinion, is when you look at the uh, scan sources involved that are scanning on these ports, and this is really looking at that, that most recent spike that we had, um, I guess it was yesterday even, I think that's what it was, yesterday's uh, data is what I was looking at here. So it's about 17,000 scan sources, and um, you can see it's very, very heavily clustered in Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, and the Philippines. Mostly Vietnam and Indonesia uh, have the, the lion's share of the activity. You know, maybe 11,000 of the 17,000 scan sources are in Vietnam. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, there's probably a service provider is what I'm gonna guess that might ship Microtik as part of their uh, consumer offering, you know, to customers. So when you use Vietnam, whatever their internet service provider is for a consumer um, internet service, they might uh, use Microtik routers or provide them to customers to get them onto the internet uh, as part of that service offering. That would be my guess for like such a high density of them uh, in this part of the world. I'm not 100% positive that's the case, but um, it's probably a good guess, especially since there's such a concentration in this part of the world. Uh, in terms of the, the scan sources. So I know that a lot of time, a lot of the IoT devices, once they're scanned and they're vulnerable and they get compromised, they also then start scanning. Is that the same uh, with the micro-thick micro routers? It is. And actually, one of the other interesting aspects of this scanning activity is that it's when I I start to look around, it's gonna be the next slide, uh, to see, well, who are these scan sources? Are they all MicroTik routers? And truth be told, there's not that many MicroTik routers. I mean, there are. There's definitely, you know, um, a fair number of MicroTik routers participating here, but there's a lot of other IoT devices 
um, as well participating in that scanning. So I saw lots of DVRs um, as well that where I didn't see a MicroTik router uh, listening on this uh, IP address, but I did see these HIK vision DVRs, which we know um, have a systemic problem in terms of, you know, weak passwords and whatnot, uh, as well as Fortinet firewalls. I know there's some vulnerabilities for a lot of these consumer grade Fortinet firewalls. So, you know, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, a lot of the scanning is not necessarily all coming from, you know, just MicroTik devices. There's a lot of other types of IoT devices that have kind of been pulled into a fold. They probably all have a very similar underlying Linux kernel that they work off of, um, you know, in terms of, so from a malware perspective, you might have to build maybe two, three or four different types of versions of it for different, you know, ARM or BIPs or um, uh, Intel platforms. But once you've done that, you can infect, you know, a bunch of these types of IoT devices. It's, it's interesting, John, you showed that uh, if you go back to the, uh, the uh, slide with the uh, login screens there, the top mm -hmm. left one, the Hikvision one is very familiar to me. That's actually the box that I was mentioning before that I set up in my house where it kind of forces you to set up an admin account when you first boot up. Um, but yeah, what it what it doesn't do, it, what it does do actually by default is it sets up UPnP um, and it opens all kinds of ports uh, on your router um, that, you know, I, I mean, I've disabled it because I don't need web access. I don't need to use their Vision, you know, web portal. Um, but I can see how easily this specific brand can get popped because it punches all kinds of holes in the router to let all kinds of traffic in for whatever they're doing uh, on, and allowing. Uh, so uh, it's interesting to see that on your screen, that that's one of the ones that could be doing the scanning. Uh, right. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain that it is one of the ones doing the scanning. Yeah. Um, not to say that yours is obviously involved <laughs> in this, but there are probably other people who, you know, they've just dropped it onto their network, not thinking, yeah. or maybe a lot of people with these DVR security camera DVRs, they want to expose them to their neck because they want to be able to check on them yeah. when they're, you know, away or remote or maybe on vacation, or maybe it's for a small business. And when they're home, they want to be able to see what's going on at their store, just in case someone breaks in or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, um, you know, the, the other interesting thing that you did mention there though is uh, universal plug and play can be really dangerous mm -hmm. uh, to have that enabled in your home router. And a lot of them do have that enabled by default. Um, and what it allows devices on your network to do is they can kind of like ask the router, hey, could you please open this port and forward any requests to it to me on the inside? Um, and the router will you know, honor that request in a lot of uh, cases. So yeah. a misbehaving device or maybe one that wasn't designed uh, quite to the degree of security that you would like might be able to ask your router to kind of, you know, lower its defenses yeah. and let stuff in that could present a bigger problem in the long run. Um, so I would be, you know, real careful as a user about, you know, it, I wouldn't say turn it off right away if you don't know what you're doing, but if you are a security person, you probably want to, you know, be aware of um, whether it's enabled on your home router 
and to what degree it's being um, used to open ports um, dynamically to allow stuff in from the internet uh, directly into your home network. So I think, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, people that you know tend to go to these big box stores and they buy one of these, you know, one of the kits with the DVR and the cameras, and they're not, uh, you know, they're not familiar with how, uh, you know, configuring the system with the security in mind. They just want the functionality of having the camera and being right. able to view it over the internet. And, you know, unfortunately, that's what, you know, it sounds like uh, uh, these botnets kind of rely on that. Yeah, setting up a VPN server at home is not something everybody even wants to think about. Right. Doing. They make it so easy to just click here and you can access it on your phone. And all, all right, right. So that's download this app, plug yep. in these, you know, this information and you're good to go. Yeah. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.